Hey everybody, my name's Dane. And I'm Jimmy. And our podcast is called Bubbling Questions. We do would-you-rathers from listeners and a Twitter bot. Along with one-person game shows using ridiculous stuff we find on the internet. Like what kind of ridiculous are we talking? <laughs> I shall not tell you. Okay, all from our very real hot tub. Oh yeah, 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 very real, uh, not a gimmick at all. <laughs> find Bubbling Questions wherever you get podcasts. And I'm Jimmy. <laughs> In Southern California, just outside Hollywood, there is a most unusual hotel. A hotel dedicated to the golden age of cinema and the departures of its most influential and notorious players. It is a destination that spotlights the manners in which these men and women of Hollywood perished. From the hanging of screen critic Henry Nash from the rafters of his Link Benson suite, to the execution of acclaimed actress Ida Barnett at the legendary Hotel Squire. The rooms are decorated with an array of evidence and clues unique to each death, and fitted with a cast of department store mannequins which stand in for those involved. Welcome to the Swan Hotel. Hey, bartender, mind setting me up with a ginger ale? Pale if you got it. Thanks. Ginger ale? That's right. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we're celebrating tonight. <laughs> it says the pensive man sitting alone. Thank you. And for some, more than just New Year's. I'll toast my soda to their good cheer. Most of those folks out there have been thirsty for some time now. And with the way things are going outside, they see this past year as a victory. Welcome to the source of their good cheer, the spring. Times are changing. Maybe. Not for those folks. They may be wet, but they're still hungry. What about you, friend? Are you hungry? Me, no. Just thirsty. Well, that's just fine. Next one's on me. I gave up the drink a long time ago. Suds have a tendency to make me, well, you know, <laughs> swell up. <laughs> I got two little ones back home and another one on the way. I'd like to stick around for it. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Gotta stay fit. <laughs> Keep trim, you know what I mean? Forgive me, but uh, you don't exactly look as though you're wasting away. Ah, but you see, I have a penchant for sweets. <laughs> Hugh Hawkins, National Light Fixture Company. I'm a salesman for the Western Division. Ceilings, walls, the works. How do you do? Sid Carlisle. So, what brings you to Seattle, Mr. Carlisle? Work. Ah, I can tell you enjoy it. The word grinds out of your mouth. Me? I'm here for my lodge's annual convention. Brothers of the Sun. Uh, I take it that's what the uh, fez is about? Compassion, dignity, and fun are brothers of the sun. You got the salute and everything. Yeah, it's pretty swell. This is the brothers' first convention in Seattle. Seems to be a lot of you guys. Well, there ought to be if we're going to stay the fastest growing fraternal association in the country. So what do you do? I'm, uh, an entertainer. An entertainer? And who, may I ask, do you entertain? Clubs, benefits, police dinners. What, a singer? No. A dancer? No. Let me guess. 
You spin bone china plates on sticks while juggling. <laughs> no. Then I give up. I'm a, a hypnotist. A hypnotist? <laughs> How do you mean? Uh, for laughs. Wait, don't tell me you're one of those guys that grabs people from the audience and has them fall in love and cluck like a chicken. Voltar the Great, at your service. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> First soul outside the convention I talk to all night, and I get a real live mesmerizer. <laughs> to good fortune. <laughs> My lucky night. To make the most of every minute And get your 60 seconds in it Well, that's what life is made of anyhow The date is December 31st, 1933. The time is two hours before midnight. The place is the Aurora Room atop Seattle's Donovan Hotel, and the attendees are a blissful group of celebratory lushes, welcoming in a new year and saying goodbye to a 13-year-long dry spell. On hand for the festivities, one Hume Hawkins, a chatty lamp salesman with a portly figure and an optimistic disposition, and one Sidney Carlisle, a distraught and despondent stage hypnotist mulling over the state of man and his own existence. Mr. Sid Carlyle and Mr. Hume Hawkins, who just sat down at a bar and found each other, in a moment will together ring in the new year in a surprising fashion. Keep your eye on the swinging pendulum and allow yourself to drift away deeper and deeper and unlock the door of your conscious or subconscious and room 623. You've just checked into the Swan Hotel. Wow, a hypnotist. <laughs> That's something. Tell me, you know, I, I've always wanted to know. Is it on the up and up, or is the whole thing hokum? You know, plants in the audience, that sort of thing? The techniques are very real. The power of suggestion is all around us. I don't follow. I'll take you, for instance. Now, uh, in a typical morning, what's commonplace? I assume your wife cooks breakfast? Yeah, in the house I run. And she kisses you before you leave? Every day. Uh, except for a couple weeks ago when she was helping her mother. Felt off, you know, the whole time she was away. I ate like a child. Even loused up a big sale of porcelain units. There you go. It just so happens this particular suggestion was in the form of a routine. Well, I'll be. And I'll bet you have a little speech you give yourself before each sale. <laughs> yeah, don't louse up. See, that's negative. And I'm sure you repeat it. All that does is drive home the concept of lousing up. There's suggestion behind every word we speak. Listen, I do pretty well, but how about you come back to California with me? I got a couple leads down south that are proving pretty difficult to crack. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm all booked up. Talk to my agent, though. I'm sure he'd love to squeeze another dime out of me. I know what you mean. My wife spends money like I'm printing in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from California. What part? San Joaquin Valley. Bakersfield. Bakersfield. I had to stay there a couple years back. Worked this little hole in the wall between the postal telegraph and a cigar store. The, uh, the Orient. You know the Orient? Nice place. I took the missus there for her birthday. 
I, I remember they had this floor show, the Professor Ping and his tumbling cots. Must have been a dozen kids stacked on top of each other. Don't believe I've seen that act. Oh, you should. These kids were flipping around and swinging about. Real sensational stuff. The wife still brings it up. <laughs> of course, it was no mystic routine. Tell me, how, how does someone pick that up? Hypnotism. I'm curious. A child's inexhaustible imagination. When I was younger, I admired all the greats. Mindini, Max Zepp, the amazing Falcone. Of course, it was different then. Mind readers and animal magnetism. Bills with rays coming out of the performer's eyes, that sort of thing. I was hooked. It's one act. Petrie Brothers. And four Scottish brothers. Big, brawny men. Pull up from the audience the tiniest, sweetest, most petite woman in the room. They'd bring her up on the stage and place her in a deep trance. They'd lift her up and span her body between two household chairs. Then the four brothers, and I mean Herculean types, been cleaning their plates since day one, you know? These four brothers then stepped up onto the chairs and proceed one after the other to walk out across this mouse of a woman until all four brothers were standing, arms linked, shoulder to shoulder. I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, we don't get nothing like that at the Orient. <laughs> but tell me, how does one go from an admirer to a performer? I mean, a as a kid, where do you begin? Well, where do you think? The library. I read a book called Mesmerism and Metaphysics, The Art of Hypnosis. Read it over and over until I could make sense of it. I've collected a lot of books over the years. Well, how do you like that? The library. Of course, you can't learn everything from books. I mean, techniques can be learned, but time and practice is the path to understanding and the gateway to knowing. So when I was old enough to leave home, I headed for New York, where I met Simon Sylvain, master of hypnosis. Over time, we developed a rapport. I'd show him new methods of induction I was playing around with, and he'd spot the weak points and show me where to improve. And with that, beautiful mentorship was born. Very soon after my time in New York, I was touring on my own, booking the biggest rooms imaginable. That doesn't sound like a bad start. Yeah, it's weird, though. Success found me very early on. Did you ever go out of the country, you know, uh, tour abroad? Sure. Europe, the Far East, Voltar's boundaries are limitless. Settled down for a bit after that, though. Found residence in Hollywood. Met a girl. Hollywood? <laughs> I know it well. Did some sidelining as an actor. The stage hypnotist was going through a bit of a rough patch. Uh, how do you mean? Uh, found a kind of stigma courtesy of my silver screen employer. Silence portrayed hypnotists as ghastly and fiendish characters. And sadly, my stint in pictures didn't help matters. Wait, you were in the movies? Yeah, a few. Well, I'll be. <laughs> what were you in? Did you see The Laughing Man? That's it! That, <laughs> that's it! The Laughing Man! I knew you looked familiar! You were the... the... Anton. That's right, Anton! <laughs> of course, you gotta imagine me with a curled handlebar and a chin puff. Wait till I tell my wife when I get back. She loves those Jekyll and Hyde flicks. Scares her to death, but she can't get enough. It's ancient history. Well, it got you here, and you seem to be doing pretty well for yourself. Yeah. Bartender, uh, what about you? Can't complain. Not even if I wanted to. Life's been dealing me the right cards for a long time now. And should the occasional deuce pass my way, well, that's life. Sure, I would have liked to have had a few more sales this year, but that's the cookie, you know? Nothing I can do about it. Best to keep your head up. Tell me... Do you play cards, Mr. Hawkins? Me? 
<laughs> nah. Well, on occasion. Well, then let me tell you. Those deuces you speak of, they pass by more than you think. Well, I, I just always been that sort of way, you know? <laughs> Naive? Optimistic. No, I think Lady Luck's helping you hold your hand and its aces. Here's to Hume Hawkins, luckiest man to ever play the game. Call it what you will, but this game's dealt me a kind and caring and supportive partner whom I love with every fiber of my being. I'll take that hand any night, whether through luck or stick to or the workings of some higher power. My wife doesn't respect me. She's got aspirations. She's hungry. Not like those people out there. She has an appetite for the high life. She walks around with a feed bag full of money. When it's empty, <laughs> well, that's when she shows her teeth. Suddenly marrying me was her error. I never wanted this. She pushed me and pushed me, made me into something I'm not. Voltar the piggy bank, that's me. I wanted the act, but not like this. Climb the ladder, she said. But to what height? She uses the status to further her own desires, wears the houses and apartments around her neck like badges of honor. I'm a puppet in her menagerie of playthings. She wants it all and I can't keep up. I've wandered into a kind of occupational trap where I lie in wait for serenity. My hand's been dealt and the chips are down. When the chips are down, Mr. Hawkins, you either walk away or you stay at the table. And if you stay, you better be ready for bust. Because if not, well, that's when the lines get blurred and the game's rules become fuzzy. You delude yourself to the methods of survival simply so you can sleep at night. You steal money and you call it a loan. You justify your existence with trivial accomplishments and convince yourself you're a man living full measure. And then that occupational trap becomes a personal one. But your choices, friend. Yes, so. What do you say we get another drink? Uh, this time from the soda fountain. Nah, I got a lot more drinking to do. <laughs> you sound like a man ready to fold. I'm afraid I can't bluff my way out of this one. I've made my bed. No one says you have to lie down. Oh, but I'm tired. And I don't believe I can stand much longer. I'm tired and I'm sick. You're not exactly holding the right medicine. No, maybe so. But this ward specializes in self-medicating and navel-gazing type fellas. Well, in that case, you come to the right place. That kind of prescription runs in abundance here. But it won't make you well. Yeah, you're right about that. Hey, what do you say we move this party out of the pits? We're celebrating, remember? That we are, Mr. Hawkins. That we are. Bartender, another ginger ale. And drown a couple cherries in it, huh? So, are you still living in Hollywood? No, I moved back east. New Jersey. Between motels, it feels like just another stop. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> My job has me on the road seven months out of the year. It's tough, but you gotta put food on the table, right? Last time I went back home, someone replaced my boy's stomachs with bottomless pits. <laughs> Thanks. You got kids? No. I tell you, they put this whole thing in perspective. You realize what it's all about. And my bride, 
A working man couldn't ask for a woman with more fortitude. There isn't a weak bone in her body. Her strength comes from her ardent personality. You can't keep that woman still, you know? She'd probably make a terrible subject for you. <laughs> I'm the same way. Always getting into something. Well, I hate to tell you, Mr. Hawkins, but take it from this weary and self-willed, not-so-old and soon-to-be-retired performer. Everyone has the capacity for hypnosis. <laughs> not me, pal. I'm one of those rare types. You know, one in a million. <laughs> I must remember to play the numbers game with you. I'm on the level. Here, I'll prove it to you. Go ahead, hypnotize me. <laughs> I'm off tonight. No, no, no. I'm, I'm serious. Give me your best shot. <laughs> the room isn't exactly conducive to this sort of thing. Afraid you meet your match? You're serious. Come on. I promise I can't be hypnotized. In fact, I'll do you one better. I bet you I can't be hypnotized. I don't bet. That's why I'm going to make it easy. You don't put anything up. If you hypnotize me, I'll put the bill for the rest of your treatment this evening. I thought you said it was a dead end. And I still feel that way. But like I said, I can't be hypnotized. All right. Wonderful. <laughs> what do I do? Face me. You sure? I don't want to get you all discouraged now. Face me. Now, do you see this pendant? Is that, is that what you're going to put the hex on me with? This isn't a spell. No, quiet. I picked up this pendant in China from a man named Ning Chao, a healer. It's said to have great strength, and all that look upon it will fall under its power. Now keep your eyes fixed on the pendant and listen to the sound of my voice. Hear only the sound of my voice. Surrender. Remain no more and surrender your mind. Surrender. What is your name? Hume Hawkins. And where do you live, Mr. Hawkins? 6842 Sunset Terrace, Bakersfield, California. What do you do? I'm a salesman for the National Light Fixture Company. Do you have a family? Yes, a wife and three children. What are their names? Betty, Henry, Theodore, and Cynthia, if it's a girl, and John, if it's a boy. And how is business, Mr. Hawkins? It's a prosperous trade. Really? I hear it's quite the struggle out there. Maybe for some, just bought a new house. I don't trust the bank, though. I keep my money buried in the backyard. In the, uh, the backyard? Yes. You don't say. I want to be able to provide for my family. They mean everything to me. You miss your family, don't you? Very much. The road is quite lonely. I imagine shrimp salad Louie at a lonely counter is no match for a home-cooked rib roast and country vegetables. And I'm sure the road's vagabonds are a poor substitution for loved ones. Nothing compares. Still, I'll bet it's a comfort to meet fellow travelers along the way. Uh-huh. This past spring I gave a very interesting ride to a young couple, truants. Oh? Their families did not approve of their plans to wed, so they ran away together. They were at a diner looking for someone to take them north, so I offered to give them a lift. That was very nice of you. Where were they going? To a friend's farm in Oregon, Shepherd's Valley. And did you take them there? No. Where did you take them? Someplace quiet. Someplace quiet? 
I killed the boy first and took my time with the girl. You... you killed the boy? I stabbed him repeatedly in front of the girl. She screamed and tried to run but fell. I bound her wrists behind a tree by the lake. It was very peaceful. Mr. Hawkins? Her skin was cold and was covered in goose pimples. She trembled at my touch, at my caress. What did you do to the girl, Mr. Hawkins? I cut her ever so slightly and watched the terror on her face as she imagined the pain tenfold. And then? I liberated her. You let her go? I cut her throat from ear to ear. Mr. Mr. Hawkins, I, I want you to listen very, very carefully. Listen to the sound of my voice. When I snap my fingers, you'll awaken and have no memory of what has transpired. Remember now, on the snap of my fingers, one, you're beginning to awaken, two, your memory is beginning to fade, three, your memory has faded completely. See, Pally? What I tell you? I can't be hypnotized. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your fun, but I tried to warn you. <laughs> Better luck next time. Hey, buddy, you okay? Look, don't take it personally. I'm, I'm just not a good subject. Will you excuse me for a moment? Everything all right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling well. Here's that self-prescribed elixir of yours is exhibiting side effects. <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with me this evening. Well, well, go on, son. I'm sure your barkeep and my soda jerk will appreciate it if we didn't taint up this workspace. Excuse me. Said, get a hold of yourself. Think this through now. Don't be rash. What if you're just hearing things? How can you be sure that's what he said? How do you know you didn't imagine it? Wouldn't be the first time. <sighs> you're certainly worse for wear this evening. But what if he did say it? You heard him. You're not even really that sauced, tipsy at most. Who is this guy? Here he comes. I was worried about you. I'm fine. Nothing that stretching the legs couldn't cure. So tell me, Voltar. What's life like in Hollywood? I've been there a slew of times, but I'm never to rub elbows with movie stars. Tell me. Are Marty and Ethel as delightful in person? I really, really wouldn't know. I'd like to think so. They, they make such a perfect pair. Ethel with her winsome smile and Marty with his wit and winning personality. So you say you spent a lot of time in Hollywood? I could sketch you a map right now if you wanted. And pepper with the city's best drugstore malts and delicatessens. Kosher if you like. Well, I could even point you in the direction of a good hatter or, or if you aim to have a pair of shoes cobbled. You ever get up north? 
I don't think I would uh, have any trouble, Mr. Carlisle, in saying I've seen every bumpy, less-traveled, uninhabited road and single-pump filling station in all of these western United States. And then some. Sounds lonesome. <laughs> the mind wanders, but the will stays the course. Oregon's nice, uh, wouldn't you say? Beautiful. Of course, so's Washington. Big trees are big trees. Must be swell sometimes, hobnobbing with all those stars. Yeah, swell. Though I'd have to say, uh, I have a special place in my heart for Oregon. You ever been up near uh, Shepherd's Valley? My buddy has some land up there. Lovely country. What about movie premieres? You ever go to one of those? You know, Mr. Hawkins, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't feel a little foolish right now. About what? Well, I've never come across anyone I couldn't put under. Forgive me, but I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm a proud man. I don't take failure lightly. Failure? That seems a little harsh. That's exactly what it was. Don't beat yourself up. Look, I'm special. My mother can vouch for that. I'm ashamed. Ashamed? Really, it's disgraceful is what it is. I, I think you're making too much out of this. Just forget it. Well, I wish I could, but don't you see? There's bigger issues at play here than just a hurt ego. Can you imagine what would happen to my reputation if it got out that Voltar the Great was unable to induce a trance? Why, my credibility would be in jeopardy. A shadow of doubt would follow in front of me wherever I went. Don't worry, I won't say anything. <laughs> You're safe with me. I'm, I'm sure I am. But you see, there's a kind of code hypnotists operate under. Well, Mr. Carlisle... I operate under a gentleman's code. You needn't worry. One more chance. As per the code. Alright, but you're setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> Take this as an impasse and move on. I wouldn't dream of it. You know what? I think those spirits or the, the promise of more are clouding your perception. Hey, lick your lips. I think you missed a drop. Now, just do the same as before. Face me and keep your eye on the pendant. Focus on the sound of my voice. Resist and surrender. Surrender your senses and give your mind to the pendant. Surrender. Surrender. Mr. Hawkins? Yes. How are you feeling? Refreshed. I want you to take me back to earlier this year when you helped a young couple you met at a diner. Feel the spring air and the sun against your cheek. And think of their names. Annie and Bernard. Annie and Bernard? Yes, but those weren't their real names. How do you know? I checked their effects when we stopped at the filling station. And, and what were their real names? Pauline Jones and Timothy Stroud. Pauline Jones and Timothy Stroud? They lied to me. Did this upset you? They all lie. They? The others. The others? A schoolteacher from Buckton. What about the schoolteacher from Buckton? She was sweet, and her hair smelled like pumpernickel. She lied about being with the child in an effort to save herself. I drowned her in Lake Stannis. Lake Stannis? 
She was involved with a married man and was trying to escape, flee from her trespasses. So I aided her. Who else have you aided? A jazz musician in Arizona, a down-and-out soul on his last tune. I bashed his head in with a rock. Go, uh, go, go on. There was the youthful nun in New Mexico who abandoned her order after succumbing to impure thoughts about a handsome drifter. Her muddied, fresh-faced innocence begged for reprieve. And did you aid her? Yes. How many people have you aided, Mr. Hawkins? Dozens. Dozens? Yes. When was the first time you aided? I was younger, but not by much. New to the company and on my maiden sales trip. I gave a lift to a woman of ill repute. She was so young and so very tired, but strong. Where did you meet her? At a motel outside of Phoenix. Where was she going? Anyway, but she said Flagstaff. We drove north through the national forest. She remarked on the mountains and the rough edges. She said that the rough edges gave them beauty. This woman never made it to Flagstaff, did she, Mr. Hawkins? No. Do you feel that you have more to aid? The world is full of souls that need saving. How do you know you won't get caught first? No one suspects me. I'm a chameleon. Really? No one? No one. Not the other salesmen. The members of my church. My family. Not even the police officer who lives across the street. You, you live across the street from a police officer? Yes. He is a young, brash, and overly cocky specimen. He is a friend of the family and has been to the house with his wife on a number of occasions. This past summer, his family came over for a cookout in the backyard. He sat there with his bumptious tenacity and bloated ego and graced us with a recount of how he single-handedly captured an outlaw wanted for several murders. His arrogance amuses me. I turned his punchlines into opportunities to laugh at him aloud. He is a silly man and prides himself on his hawk-like heedfulness. But still he suspects nothing. He even cut his wife's cake with the same knife I used on poor Miss Jones. You kept the knife? Yes. Why? The best place to hide something is in plain sight. Mr. Hawkins, what is the name of the police officer that lives across the street from you? Kenneth. Kenneth what? 
Doyle. Kenneth Doyle? Yes. Mr. Hawkins, listen very closely to the sound of my voice. When I snap my fingers, you'll awaken and have no memory of this occurrence. You'll return to your ginger ale as if nothing has happened. Remember, with the snap of my fingers, one, you're beginning to awaken, two, your memory is beginning to fade, three, your memory has faded completely. Really, I wish I was a better subject, friend, but I guess I'm just impervious to hypnosis. <laughs> that's, that's quite alright, Mr. Hawkins. I'll just have to be the one that got away. <laughs> Will you excuse me? Now, don't get disheartened. There's no need for a red face around me, Mr. Carlisle. We're just two guys shooting the breeze. Mum's the word. I'm just feeling a little under the weather is all. I'd say you're ready for a second opinion. A glass of tomato juice and a bed. I think you best call it a night. You look ready to drop. Get out of here and find a nice, salubrious place to lick your wounds. Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> And a new year for that matter. Seems like you could use a fresh start. You look worn to a frazzle, beat down and prostrated on the floor. Rest that worn out spirit. You've been all in for too long. Right now, I'd say this stuffy room's what ails me. Just a, just a bit of fresh air is what I need. Excuse me. Operator, get, get me a listing in Bakersfield, California. Kenneth Doyle? That's right, thank you. <laughs> Hello, Kenneth Doyle? Uh, Mr. Doyle, sorry to bother you, uh, but I have something urgent to tell you about your neighbor, Hume Hawkins. Hume Hawkins? The man who lives across the street from you? See, I've been sitting at the bar with Mr. Hawkins, and I'm completely certain that he has carried out an untold number of heinous acts that... Yes, I know it's late, but this is very serious. Your neighbor has... Yes, I, I respect the fact that you have an early morning beat, but if you'll just listen... No, I don't want to wake your wife. Sir, please, this is extremely dire. I've been sitting here with Mr. Hawkins, and I'm convinced that your neighbor... Hume Hawkins has murdered a number of people. Sir, please don't laugh. You must... Jesus, how can I get through to you? No, you must believe me. How did I come by this? Well, well, I, I know this is going to sound strange, but... My name's Sid Carlisle. I'm a hypnotist. A, a hypnotist. No, hypnotist, and, and not several moments ago, I had Mr. Hawkins in a trance. That's right, a trance, where he confessed to killing dozens of people. No, not all at once. Over a period of, I, I don't know, several years, maybe longer, I'm not sure. Sir, I'm telling the truth, you must listen to me. Well, I don't see what that has to do with... I mean, yes, I had a few drinks, but... Sir, your neighbor has been driving up and down the country on a killing spree. Hello? Hello? Damn. Operator, get me the police. Hello, police? My name is Sidney Carlisle. I'm a hypnotist up in Seattle. 
And I'm sitting here with a man named Hume Hawkins. That's right, Hume Hawkins. Now, <laughs> I know very well how this is going to sound, but I have reason to believe that Mr. Hawkins has committed a terrible crime, and I need to speak with a detective. What difference does it make how I got the information? But this is serious. Listen, two young people are dead, and I have to speak with a detective. Where'd you run off to, friend? Uh, that's right, honey. I'll be back in my room a little after midnight. I love you too, dear. Good night. I came to make sure you were alright. You're looking a little green back there. I was just phoning my wife. She must be quite the night owl. It's past 2 a.m. on the East Coast. Yes, well, between you and me, with the celebrations I was checking up on her, my trust these days is at an end and my troubles seem to be mounting. Don't fret. Soon there'll be the troubles of a past year. Keep your head straight and your wits sharp. These things have a tendency of working themselves out. That's, uh... That's sound advice. Thank you. Come on. <laughs> My ice cubes are melting. Hey, friend, look! It's almost midnight, and here we nearly gabbed it right through. <laughs> I'd better get to a phone. I, I promised my better half I'd call her before midnight. We worked out this little system so we could ring in the new year together. That's... that's sweet. Yeah, she puts up such a fuss about the holidays, and I lost her head when I told her I was going to Seattle for the convention. Oh, who am I kidding? It kills me to be away from her and the boys tonight. When you take the brother's sacred oath, well, that means something. And if I can't live up to my word, well, I don't have to tell you what kind of example that's setting for my youngsters. You doing all right, friend? You look a little indisposed. Probably something I ate. Or did mean. That liquid diet's got you stewed. Two sheets to the wind. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Make that three sheets to the wind. I'm fine. <laughs> you don't look fine. I don't? No. Tell me then, Mr. Hawkins, how would you say I look? You look lost, pal. Deep in thought. Turbulent waters, I'd say. You look like your ropes are loose and blowing in the wind. I'd say your ship's caught in a storm. Really? And what storm might that be? Well, I don't mean to be frank, but for starters, it appears that the personal trap of yours has got a hold of you and won't let go. In fact, I'd say it's digging its teeth in deep. It's very astute. I just call him like I see him. Quite the uh, apt pupil. I may have picked up a few tricks along the way, but it isn't me, friend. To put it in familiar terms, the cards are showing. Tell me more about your sales trips, Mr. Hawkins. Ah, tick, tick, tick. Brothers of the Sun are never tardy and always keep their promises. I'm afraid I'll have to wait until after I phone my bride. See, like I said, I told her I'd call. If she doesn't hear from me, well, she gets worried. And with that, Mr. Carlyle, I will see you in the year 1934. Keep it together, Sid. Bartender, 
Let me have a glass of water. Thanks. Ow, little hair of the dog that bit you, huh? Weren't you gonna phone your wife? The little lady fell asleep. How do you like that? I guess it's just you and me tonight, partner. Hey, take it easy, friend. We still got, oh, I don't know, ten minutes to go, and at that rate, you'll never make it. Don't worry, Mr. Hawkins. It's just water. I've switched prescriptions for the night, anyway. That's the spirit. Glad to hear it. You're too young, friend. I hate to see someone with a bright future stuff it down to the bottom of a bottle. No good will come of it. Storms pass. They always do. Why, I, I can see the sun shining right now. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about what you said about my cards showing. I'm afraid I owe you a bit of an apology. I haven't been the best of company or even the most pleasant this evening. Water under the bridge. My behavior has been foolhardy and inexcusable. Really, it's, it's fine. Well, I haven't done a very good job of hiding my emotions. We're emotional creatures, humans. Our makeup doesn't hide. I'd say that's the most insightful thing you've said all evening. Trying to finish the year strong. <laughs> so tell me, fellow human, what's it like out there? I'll bet you, I'll bet you run into a lot of people. Buddy, it's a lonely room. Of course, there's the occasional straggler, but I mean, I'm, I mainly keep to myself. Stragglers? Ah, drifters, got a rat. But I, like I said, I, I mind my business. Lesson they're in the market for a green seashell wall fixture or a red glass ceiling unit. In that case, their business is my business. Long days, I bet. Tough sheets and broken springs are a warm welcome. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Eyes on the prize, Mr. Carlyle. Eyes on the prize. Still, seems like all that isolation would get to a man. Start messing with his head. Give him thoughts he might not otherwise get. You know, a guy could paint a thousand pictures in his head in a day alone, I'm sure. Conjure scenarios, harmless what-ifs, fantasies, anything to put miles on the odometer. Ugh, those nights. Those long and lonely nights. I certainly envy you. You handle it with better grace than me, that's for sure. Oh, I've had my fair share of restless nights, crawling up the walls of a $3 room. I know what it's like. That urge to act out, to take a hard pillow and suffocate that little voice inside, the one telling you to think happy thoughts. I know that desire, that demand, that calling to take off the mask and be yourself. The road's a temptress, my friend. Idle hands, am I right? The devil's workshop. My strength is my family. Well, you got me there. What's that you got? Oh, this? It's just an old lancet case. A trinket I picked up. Physicians carried these around in their pockets. They were used for bloodletting. Ornate cases were given out among fellow surgeons as gifts. <laughs> Do you collect medical antiques? Not particularly. You see, the first hypnotism I ever witnessed was in an old smoke-filled music hall. A night of double acts and deadpan bills, that sort of thing. 
And in the middle of all the one-liners was a lone mentalist, a frail and wrinkled, soon-to-be-extinct man up there on the stage. And nobody to me at the time when he was so young. Years later, I came to find his name was Morton the Great, an old, drying-up, second-rate magician doing a 30-year tour of the country's smallest vaudeville houses. He died in Brooklyn in 1914. I, I remember that night, he pulled a man from the audience and gave the room a brief lecture on hypnosis, a throwback to the early days, its medical roots. Carried himself like a doctor, and dressed like one too, with frock and silk satin stock. Repetition and suggestion and eye fixation, he said. These are the keys. He then produced from his pocket a gilded lancet case, like this one. He held the case above the subject's forehead about ten or so inches from the eyes, like this. See, the idea was to place the greatest amount of strain possible on the subject's eyes. This would cause the eyelids to grow heavy. And while he did this, he told a story of these early demonstrations between doctors, a room full of physicians hovering over a patient. He was so engaging, the senses, the imagery. The subject felt like he was in the room, kind of like he was reading a book. Then the hypnotist, with his feeble hand, slowly moved the case to the far left of the subject's view, keeping strain on the eyes, like this. The patient was urged to keep their eye on the bright object, he told the man from the audience. Follow the object. The hypnotist then moved the case from one extreme of the subject's view to the other, pushing the eyes to their absolute limit. This relaxed the subject. His pupils began to dilate like yours are now. They became unstable, wavy. Then with the fore and middle fingers of his other hand, separated ever so slightly, like this, he drew an invisible line from the case to the subject's eyes, like this. The room watched as the eyes closed and the subject fell into a surrendered state. Mr. Hawkins? Yes. You're now in the first level of hypnotic trance. I want you to imagine your living room. It's just after dinner and the smell of ham still lingers in the kitchen. You're sitting in your favorite chair. Your belly is full and you're content. You're surrounded by your family and everyone that loves you. Now I want you to think of all the people you've You've aided over the years, and the need, the desire to help them. Think of their suffering. Suffering that you ended. You know the world doesn't agree with your assistance, don't you? They see it as immoral, and so you must hide your work. And your family, sitting there with you, they wouldn't understand. They idolize you, but not in the way they should. The secrecy is a burden, a burden you must carry. Why don't you release yourself from this burden? You mean help myself? Yes, but not in the way that you help the others. I think it would be best if you turned yourself in to the police. But that would interfere with my plans for this evening. And what are your plans for this evening? I haven't decided entirely yet. I typically use whatever is around me. Around you? 
Your soul aches, Sydney. Mr. Mr. Hawkins, listen. Listen very closely to the sound of my voice. When I say the word, the word Istanbul, you will surrender completely and immediately fall into the deepest level of hypnotic trance. Do you understand? Yes. Istanbul. Mr. Hume Hawkins, your work is finished. You have aided all that need aiding. When I snap my fingers, you'll awaken and have no memory of your hypnotic trance. You will obey my command. You will pay your tab and then proceed downstairs to the lobby where you will exit the building and hail a cab. You will then tell the driver to take you to the nearest police station. Upon your arrival, you will pay the driver and exit the cab. You will enter the station and you will ask the officer at the counter to speak with a detective to whom you will confess all of your aiding. You will tell him where the bodies are buried and you will do all of this with the utmost diligence. Remember, on the snap of my fingers, one, you're beginning to descend, two, you're surrendering completely, three, your mind has... <laughs> Say, that's some story, friend. <laughs> Jeez, pal, it's two minutes till midnight. We nearly missed it. What do you say we put all this magic and mesmerism to bed and join the fun? <laughs> Barky, two sparkling ciders for me and my friend. Will you, uh, excuse me, I, I forgot something downstairs. Hey, you better hurry and grab your noisemaker. I'll see you on the floor. <laughs> hey, out of my way. Hey. Move. <laughs> out of my way. Operator, get me the police. Hurry. 28, Hello, police? Listen, you gotta help me. Hello? I can't hear you for the commotion. Listen, there's a maniac on the loose. Please, you have to listen to me. His name is Hume Hawkins. He's a salesman from Bakersfield. Please, we don't have much time. This isn't a prank. Ma'am, please! I'm at the Donovan Hotel. Hurry. No, there isn't time. Ma'am, listen very carefully. If you don't hurry, someone is going to die. Thank you, thank you. Please, please hurry. No, no, no. No, don't resist. Let the necktie take over, Sydney. You've done enough. Oh, stifle now. Don't fight it. You're making it worse. It's all over. The debt, the disrespect, not your problems anymore. You're free? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's all done. It's all over.
Come on, Mr. Carlisle. Let's get you to your room. Stand you up, shall we? Oh, oh look out. Steady, Sydney. <laughs> got a couple of noodles for legs this evening. Good thing you got me. Say, so you got a room key on you? Uh, there we go. All right, let's put you to bed. <laughs> You've got a trying day today. <laughs> That's it, buddy. All right, right this way. Excuse us. Pardon me, pardon, pardon my friend. <laughs> Thank you, excuse me. Uh, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. He's gonna sleep it off. Oh, pardon me. There we go. Now, you get some rest, friend. <laughs> Come on, Sydney. Pardon me. 621. And there we go. Here we are, friend. Room 623. This must be the place. What do you know? We got the same view. Gee, that's swell. Mr. Sidney Carlyle, now deceased. A worn out hypnotist looking for solace at the bottom of a glass, who instead found Hume Hawkins, a specialist in reassurance and relief. In the Swan's Room 623, visitors will find a travel chest of pendants and turbans, and a double bed that sleeps one. One person, that is. Weary travelers, separated from their spouses, are given the opportunity to snuggle up to a fixed mannequin of Voltar the Great. He rests peacefully on his back, with his arms by his side, just as the maid staff of the Donovan Hotel found him. And peeking out from his clenched fist, glued down and shimmering in the light, an antique lancet case. Join us next time as we bring you another hypnotic tale from the Swan Hotel. Tales from the Swan Hotel is written and directed by Thaddeus Ellenberg and produced by Will Scoville. Tonight's episode starred Thomas Bridgman as Sid Carlisle, Jason Dove as Hume Hawkins, and I'm Ron Chapman. Original theme by Nick Stargu, artwork by Justin Devine. Tales from the Swan Hotel is independently produced by Will Scoville and Thaddeus Ellenberg. You can help us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes and Stitcher. You can find more episodes of Tales from the Swan Hotel on SoundCloud and iTunes.